Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association. My name is Diane Merritt. Today we are joined again by Tom Rosine, Head of Research Services with Lipper from Refinitiv and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We're happy to have you with us today, Tom. Great to be with you, Diane. Thanks for having me. Tom, you recently published your report for May 2020, covering over 500 closed-end fund and interval funds. Since we spoke last month, markets have continued to show improvement. What has been the general impact on closed-end funds, and does the activity in closed-end funds reflect what is occurring in the broader market? You know, they are. Uh, it was a very strong month uh, for equities and for fixed income. We showed that uh, 85% of uh, equity closed-end funds uh, had plus-side performance uh, this month, and I should say for the month of May. And 98% of fixed income funds were in the black as well. So it was really, really a good month. The numbers weren't quite as spectacular as we saw in the preceding month in April. It was more realistic, but still some great numbers. You know, despite learning that the unemployment rate jumped to 14.7%, with over 20.5 million Americans out of work in April, investors cheered the easing of the coronavirus lockdown. Congress came out and provided some strong economic relief, and we also had the Fed in there uh, providing economic relief as well. And I think investors were looking for that liquidity and that support. Uh, and also, all of us, we got uh, most of us got that $1,200 uh, in our pocket. And so we had some extra spending money. I think that was a boon for the market. One of the things that we did notice, and this is despite seeing you know ugly retail sales, retail sales were down 16.4%, industrial production was down 11.2%. Investors were looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. And we saw one of the big areas that really clobbered the markets uh, in March, and that was oil declines at like $19.78 per barrel at the month end. Basically, we saw that they clawed back and got most of those losses, not most of it, some of those losses back as investors were eyeing decrease in production and also an increase in demand because of these loosening of the uh, you know, coronavirus lockdowns. So we saw a 79% jump in oil prices alone and a closing at about $35.49 per barrel. So that was a really good thing to see. We saw also that the NASDAQ basically was up 6.7%. And how this broke out is basically we saw that the average equity closed-in fund was up about 4.44% on a NAV basis. And on the fixed income side, the fixed income closed-in funds were 4.69%. Now, we're all used to hearing 4%, 5%, this up and down. That is a monster number for fixed income funds. I really want to put emphasis on this. This was their strongest one-month return since April 2009. Now, I want to bring us a little bit back to reality now. Year-to-date equity funds are still down 15.05%, and fixed income funds are still down 6.88%. So we have a long way to go. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were the best performing for the month, and which sectors struggled? Well, let's uh, let's take a quick look at the kind of the macro groups. This is when we can kind of combine all the groups or all the individual classifications into bigger groups so we can understand what was going on. For the first week in five, we see that world equity funds uh, were at the top of the charts. They returned about 5.22%. So world equity funds would be like China region funds and, and Japanese funds. And those focused offshore compared to the United States. Mixed asset funds were up about 4.49%. And domestic equity funds were up 4.2%. Very respectful for all of them. If we look at the fixed income side of the universe, we see world income funds basically gaining 5.55%. 
And that's the first week in five also that they were at the top of the charts. Community bond funds did great, up 4.77%, and domestic taxable fixed income were up about 4.51%. Now, let's take a kind of a closer look. Equity funds, if we take a look at that for the second consecutive week, Energy MLP, remember I told you, Oil had a big jump. Energy MLP funds did great again, 8.75%, top of the charts with Equity Universe. And we take a look at convertible security fund, uh, closed-in funds. We see that they were up about 8.39. But at the bottom of the barrel, we saw real estate closed-in funds still up, but only 0.88% in emerging market funds, up about 3. Uh, I'll round it off, 3.00%. Now, on the fixed income side, we saw kind of a change uh, in leadership. People were basically risk-on here, and so we saw that people were looking for those yield, higher yield-paying funds, but fixed income, uh, emerging market, hard currency debt funds were up 10.33% after getting clobbered in prior months. That's the strongest one-month return since April 1995, um, so that's an amazing figure. High-yield closed-end funds on the leverage side so about a, uh, were up about 5.66%, and at the bottom, U.S. mortgage funds up 1.13%, very respectable, and corporate debt triple B-rated closed-end funds were up 1.97%. Is this a change in what you saw from April? It is. It is very similar to what we saw in April, at least on the equity side. Risk was on, but we saw a big change. For fixed income funds. Uh, the fixed income uh, closed-end funds actually saw some, uh, as I was saying, some big moves in emerging market uh, hard currency debt funds. But in particular, we focused on for the first month and three, some muni funds jumped to the top of their group. Now, they were beaten by world equity or world uh, debt funds, as I was saying. But muni funds saw all classifications were in the black, and overall the group was on plus-side performance. And we attributed this to, you know, the Fed's commitment to provide liquidity. And its do-whatever-it-takes attitude uh, really propped up the fixed-income universe. So, so this was a big change. Again, equities was uh, pretty similar to what we saw last month, but uh, fixed-income really saw a 180-degree turnaround. Are you seeing these trends carry over into June? We are. The market continues to rally. I mean, we saw some encouraging news. Uh, a couple of days ago, we saw the ISM Manufacturing Index uh, improved to 43.1. And that's still a showing a contraction. It was actually a little bit lower than expected. But just today, is Friday today that we're doing this recording. Uh, we saw that the U.S. economy added 2.5 million jobs in May. And we saw the unemployment rate drop to 13.3 from, as I told you, 14 and some change. So those investors that were actually saying that the 20.5 million people underemployed or unemployed, uh, about 18 million of those were temporary. Uh, we are starting to see an about face in that area as well. So it was a good reading today, and I think we'll see the markets react from that as well. Closed-end funds can trade at a premium or a discount to net asset value. What were the trends in premium discount behavior? We saw a slight improvement in uh, discounts overall with the median discount nearing about 26 basis points to 9.11%. That was for all funds. Really, if we take a look at the numbers, about 404 closed-end funds traded at a discount to their NAV and about 74 closed-end funds traded at a premium. So that was kind of a change that we've been seeing, a little bit of improvement with more funds either trading at a, uh, a premium or actually their discounts improving. What we saw here in particular on June 29th, and so we're going to look at the month then, the actual trading date, which was a Friday, uh, equity funds actually saw a widening of their discounts, about 80 basis points to 11.75%, while fixed income funds saw a narrowing of 36 basis points to about 8.16%. 
How do premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? Well, the median discount for all closed-end funds is still wider than our 12-month moving average for median discounts of 7.12. Remember, I just told you, 9.11 versus 7.12. So we are seeing a little more degradation in the discount, right? We're still seeing a kind of a deeper discount than we had over the long haul. But again, we have been seeing some general improvements. And which sector saw the greatest change? Well, the National Municipal Bond Fund Group, that's kind of the macro group where we put all the general munis, high yields, and that kind of stuff, they saw the largest improvement to its discount, 105 basis points, uh, and it went to 6.76%. So there was a general narrowing for national munis. While we take a look on the on the equity side, though, we saw that domestic equity closed-in funds, that macro group, experienced the largest widening of its discount, about 97 basis points to 9.89%. Tom, with areas of the market improving, are there sectors where investors may find particular opportunities given where those funds are trading relative to their historical averages? You know, we believe there are, and I say this with a lot of caution. The people in the market felt that there was a lot of uh, throwing the bathwater type of situation. Um, And up until now, we've seen a very narrow-focused rally. And and I say that, and everybody's seen the Dow hitting not new highs, but the Dow hitting some very strong numbers. Uh, NASDAQ actually uh, in positive territory year-to-date. So we've seen a narrow-focused rally, and most of it has been around the FANGs and the tech-oriented stocks. But recently, we saw some rotation, and we saw that the uh, Russell uh, 2000, I think it was about a week and a half ago, had a 7%-plus return in just one way, uh, one week. So we are seeing some rotation. Now, improvement in oil prices is something that people may want to keep an eye on. If we're taking a look at this, Energy Master Limited Partnerships, which have their own issues that people needed to delve into, still are down 55.20%. But I told you, you know, if storage goes up, if we start producing oil again globally, I think we're going to see some transportation increase. So there might be some plays there, again, very cautious. Natural resources are still down 35%, mainly on the oil. And emerging markets funds are down 17.85%. So these give us all opportunities. But when I say emerging markets, we need to be concerned. You know, we have uh, Trump's response to China on the COVID-19 response. We've also heard that China's national security law is, might be applied to Hong Kong, uh, which threatens their autonomy. So when we're looking at emerging markets now and taking a look at those, I think we need to keep an eye on trade, on China, and on, uh, if you will, the politics behind that. So emerging market debt uh, hard currency funds are also looking somewhat attractive. They're down 14.51%. And if you expect some reversals, these are some areas you can look into. But again, I have a lot of caution out there. We don't know if we're going to have a second round of the coronavirus peak up. We don't know if uh, Trump and uh, others are going to have conflicts between uh, the Sino-American trade deals that are going on. So, again, tough time to be in the market. But, again, it looks like there's some room uh, for improvement. Tom, you also follow interval funds which differ from traditional closed-end funds and typically offer limited quarterly liquidity to investors. As the market has shifted from the middle of February to now, what has been the impact on interval funds? Well, you know, investors continue to be in search of yield. So, you know, no matter if we've had, uh, you know, the the high in the market in February 12th and the bottom uh, somewhere, uh, you know, what was it, March 24th or whatever the day was, 
people are still in search of yield. And amazing, in May, we saw that interval funds dominated new funds offering. There were six new share classes offered uh, in this area, four from just one fund. So when you open up a fund and do multiple share classes and close them fund space, they're counted as an individual's. But really kind of the story that we've been talking about, the focus on illiquid assets, higher paying dividends and the like has certainly been it. We saw the CIM Real Asset Credit Fund come out. Uh, I'm not promoting any of these, just want to you know, kind of air what they're doing and kind of the importance. They're focused on current income with preservation of capital with a secondary objective, capital appreciation. So basically what they're looking is to capitalize on less liquid markets, getting a higher return, higher income. And basically trying to look on those, we saw two other existing close-in funds that are interval funds that offered new share classes. One was the Carlisle Tactical Private Credit Fund. Private credit, again, this concept that people are willing to go out, lock down their assets a little more for the long-term role of getting a higher yield. And the last one was the, the PIMCO Flexible Municipal Income Fund. Again, this is a, another share of an existing fund that's been out there, so you'll be able to see how they've done. But basically, they... Uh, exploit structural illiquidity in the municipal bond fund market. Well, what a great time to be investing in those particular areas if you're doing new buys, uh, if you take a look at what happened in March and even part of April. So that was where their focus was. So what we've been talking about is that the interval funds are looking for those opportunities to make investments during troubled times lock down those assets and basically give investors the opportunity for long buy and hold strategy. That said, I still think we have to be cautious because if you needed to pull your money out, they're only doing a 5% uh, redemption. Uh, and that was every quarter. So uh, that's kind of the issues that you have to play. Higher yield, maybe better return over the long haul, uh, but less liquidity. You've commented in the past that the limited liquidity offered by interval funds may actually work to the benefit of some investors in volatile markets. Do you see that being the case over the past three to four months? Yeah, kind of akin to the to last question that you, were, that you asked. You know, interval funds weren't forced to sell into the declining market. Now, eventually, they can have redemptions, right? So they do have to worry about having some cash on hand, eventually on a quarterly basis. But basically, they didn't have to uh, suffer from, if you will, pressured selling uh, that we saw other funds, especially open-end funds, have to do. Now, people say, well, what difference is that, is that for from closed-end funds? Well, closed-end funds pretty much didn't have to worry about liquidity or selling in the market, but they also weren't able to raise money. Uh, during uh, kind of the, the troubled times. And, and so uh, some of the closed-in funds uh, with an interval structure were able to raise money, uh, take in money. I, we didn't really see any net inflows. But on the flip side, they didn't have to suffer net redemptions that we see in the open-end uh, universe. But again, I think that we need to be very cautious uh, when taking a look at these. If you have a need for liquidity, these are probably not the right type of funds to be in because you can't go in the market every day and just sell them. But on the flip side, if you're long-term buy and hold looking for yield, uh, yes, I think that this benefited investors over the long haul uh, and even over the short term because they might have saved them uh, ourselves from uh, making uh, a sell decision hastily during this last market retreat. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me, Diane. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.sepa.com.